Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created the show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. The term synchronicity was coined by analytical psychologist Carl Jung in a lecture in May of 1930. When referring to an ancient Chinese oracle called I Ching, he claimed the science behind it was one he tentatively called the synchronistic principle. Synchronicity is defined as an occurrence of meaningful coincidences that seem to be related yet have no causal connection. Jung defined it as a causal parallelism and believed it to be extremely helpful in understanding the meaning of the psyche and the world around us. In 1932, physicist Wolfgang Pauli collaborated with Jung on the notion of synchronicity with what is now known as the Pauli-Jung conjecture. Within four years, they developed the concept with Pauli adding various aspects of quantum theory to it. Later, physicist T. Filk also joined Jung for further investigation, proposing that quantum entanglement, which is when two particles share a common unified space, no matter how far apart they are, could be the physical phenomenon which describes the concept of synchronicity most accurately. Quantum entanglement, while it can happen at large distances without limitation on speed, may happen as a result of what modern-day scientists call coherent resonance energy transfer. Synchronicity phenomenon can be observed with people who have never communicated with each other, implying that quantum entanglement occurs and is maintained at the level of genetic material, postulating that DNA may be considered material carriers of consciousness. Because Jung believed there to be both a philosophical and scientific basis for synchronicity, his involvement with physicists allowed him to make sure his data, gathered from his clinical observations, conformed to the principles of natural science. He also consulted with Albert Einstein on the notion, yet Jung's theory is still considered a pseudoscience today. Perhaps the scientific skepticism stems from Jung's belief of the existence of the paranormal through synchronicity, and that these coincidental events occur with more than just the probability of chance. In fact, he turned to the works of parapsychologist Joseph Rhine to support his proposed connection. In 1972, writer Arthur Koseler explored Jung's proposed link between paranormal phenomenon and the concept of synchronicity even further in his work, The Roots of Coincidence. In this intro to parapsychology, Koseler argues that science simply needs to take the possibility of the occurrence of phenomenon that are outside our common-sense view of the world more seriously and study them. Synchronicities can manifest in a number of ways, from words, symbols, numbers, songs, and events. We often try to disregard them, but eventually we experience one that stops us in our tracks or too many to not pay attention. Also, while we may think them to be very uncommon, professor of mathematics David Hand argues otherwise. Using his improbability principle, Hand points out that the law of truly large numbers, which is the most important rule of the improbability principle, suggests that with a large enough number of opportunities, any outrageous thing is likely to happen, and that improbable events are now commonplace. Whatever you believe in regards to synchronicities, one cannot ignore that the feeling that exists when one or more occurs, nor disprove the mental health benefits when diving deep and analyzing them. Jung believed them to mirror deep psychological processes and carry messages similar to how our dreams do. Today, more and more psychologists are now realizing the remarkable impact synchronicities do have and are using synchronicity as a psychotherapeutic tool in their work. By recognizing synchronicities better and seeing them as a potential source for additional therapeutic interventions, psychologists can support their patients by allowing them to experience more meaning in their life. Synchronicities not only inspire us to live for our next coincidence, but also give us a sense of self-worth by making us feel as though a greater power is watching over us and guiding us. And if quantum entanglement is perhaps the instrument for synchronicity, 
then something in us is connecting us to someone, someones, or something outside of us for a reason. And maybe it's not that the synchronicities are guiding us, but that our consciousness is creating them, emphasizing the role we play in our own lives. Nothing happens by accident, everything on purpose. Perhaps synchronicity is the language of our soul speaking to us in a way most likely to get our attention amidst the human chaos in order to give our true selves the awareness we are seeking and reassuring us that we are on the right path to whence we came. Today on Love from the Hip, it is my great pleasure to have John David Latta on my show. John is an author, teacher, and mystic. He will be sharing wisdom from his new book, The Synchronicity of Love, Stories that Heal, Transform, and Awaken. John will reveal some synchronicities that he experienced on his own spiritual journey, how his life has changed, and advice he has for others desiring more synchronicities in their lives. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A. S-U-T-T-E-R dot com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at esteracare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A care.com. What would it be like to deeply remember the secrets of your soul so that you can travel the unknown with confidence and genuinely sit back, relax, enjoying life without all the everyday worries? I'm Jenja Shen, a mystic mentor who guides you to align and amplify your soul's true mission. Get healing, clarity around your next steps, release unresolved guilt, agreements, and karma so that you can fulfill your purpose and reach your utmost potential while experiencing true freedom. Awaken the soul power within you today with me, Jen Duchenne. Learn more at jenduchenne.com. That's J-E-N-D-U-C-H-E-N-E.com. Peach fuzz is great. If it's on a peach, let Sakura Skin and Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast, and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin and Mind wants you to look your very best, and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip, that's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having author, teacher, and mystic, John David Latta on my show. 
Hi, John. Thanks for coming in today. Hi, Sakura. Thank you so much for the invitation. Love your intro. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to have someone local in the studio. That's awesome. First time <laughs> I've been here before. You got quite a view from up here. We do, and yeah. especially today. Oh, my God. It's amazing. <laughs> so, John, why did you write your book, The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken? I wrote the book because... Um, I was affected by other people who shared their true stories in their life. And I learned best from people who write their true stories, share their true stories honestly and authentically, and I wanted to do the same for others. If I was aiming for an audience, it would probably be men, especially those rigid, rational men who know it all, but also secretly feel a little stuck and maybe are thirsty for something else. I wanted them to see that there's a lot more to life than what their rigid, rational mindset is showing them. That's lovely. Yeah. What do you have to say about synchronicity? Oh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I love your intro. It's like, oh, my God, it's so cool. Um, you know, I'll share the first experience I had. Uh, I signed up for my first ever spiritual retreat a long time ago, and that was a big leap for me. It was sort of like the Nazi skinhead that suddenly decides he's in love with his black neighbors. Mm -hmm. That's how big a leap it was for me. <laughs> and as the plane is touching down in uh, Southern California, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, what have I done? I'm so nervous. And the woman next to me is reading the, the spiritual retreat leader's book. <laughs> and the book had been written 30 years ago. Wow. And the only other person on the plane going to the retreat was the woman sitting next to me. And we both checked each other out. And it's like, well, you look normal. Well, you look normal, too. I guess this is going to be OK. I'm really nervous. Me, too. <laughs> and so that was the beginning. You know, if it happens once, OK, it's just right. a coincidence. It starts to happen more and more and more. And it has never really left for the last 20 years. And do you think it happens more once we start to notice it, pay attention to it? I think it probably was there all along, so it does help to be looking for it. But I also think there's something about, I don't know what you would call it, you know, uh, I think you in your intro talked about a higher power. It mm -hmm. kind of feels like you're on the right path. You've got support somehow. So I think both things are true. You, you have to be looking for it. At the same time, it's there. And how would you say synchronicities have changed your life? We're going to get into the meat of your book, but how would you think say? It, would, it adds magic to your life. It's mm -hmm. just so, you know, the rigid rational mindset is so this is possible. This is impossible. Right. <laughs> and the impossible starts to happen more often. Uh, some people would call them miracles. Some people would call them coincidences. But when a whole bunch of coincidences happen, you know, I. I was a businessman for a lot of years. So I'm a numbers guy. I was very involved with going to the horse races when I was young. So I know about calculating probabilities. The probabilities <laughs> are so over the top with these synchronicities. It just adds a lot of magic to your life. Okay. And what would you tell others who may want to experience more of it in their lives? Um, the first thing I always say is ask. I want to experience more synchronicity in your life and know that it can happen and start looking for it. It's there. The way I see synchronicity is you're really in alignment with your soul, your soul's journey, what you want. And if you think of the ego or personality somehow being separate from the soul, I think sometimes our journey as human beings is bringing those together. Right. And the more you bring them together, the more these magical synchronicities start to happen. And when these first started popping up, what were your what were your very first thoughts? On oh, it was like, <laughs> what are the chances of this happening? <laughs> like I said, I'm a numbers guy at heart. Like, right. oh, my God, that just happened again. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was literally like messing with my, hmm, well, the chances of that happening were one in a million. What, that just happened again <laughs> and again. That was the first thought. So you share a lot of dreams and interpretations all throughout your amazing book. Yeah. Can you share with my listeners who taught you? how significant dreams really are, and also how to make them work for you. Yeah, so that first spiritual retreat was led by a very popular spiritual teacher years ago named Dr. William Brew Joy, went by his middle name Brew, and he taught the dreams were sacred. And he said it's really a way of making the unconscious conscious. And countless people throughout time have realized there's something in the unconscious to be mined. And, you know, artists have tried to access it more. Albert Einstein talked about it. I think it was Edison talked about it. It was... How do we get in touch with the unconscious? Because that's where all the answers are. Right. And he used to go to an extreme and say, um, I think psychologists say that we're 20% conscious and 80% unconscious. He goes, no, we're like less than 1% conscious and 99.999% <laughs> repeating unconscious. Right. So it's a way to access the unconscious. And so the exercise he gave was, um, is you're falling asleep at night. Imagine standing at the edge of a cliff. You remove all your clothing, turn your back to the abyss, and as you're falling asleep, fall backwards into the abyss in total trust 
and ask for a dream. I started doing that. At first, not much. At first, not much. Then I got a little snippet of a dream, and then a few more, and then a few more. And it got to the point where I, like, oh, my God, there were some nights I didn't want any dreams. I just needed sleep, you know. <laughs> and so— um, And were you a person that always had dreams or remembered your dreams? No. No, I, I think I remember a few scary dreams when I was a teenager when I mm. watched a scary movie, but that was right. as far as I know. It's possible I had dreams, but nobody told me to pay attention to them. And you know how it is when you wake up and, it's, and it slips through your fingers really quickly. Well, yeah, you start your day and you just, it's It's gone. just gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just a dream. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say then to people that are trying to remember their dreams is to do exactly what you were saying? with Exactly. Start up by asking and Mm -hmm. be serious about it. Put a recording device next to your bed, a journal and a pen. Uh, Pay attention. Start writing them down. If you're like me, they won't make any sense at all. You write it down. It's like, oh, my God, what? You know, it sounds like some (laughs) fantasy on drugs. I don't understand. But you'll learn. uh, I joined a dream forum, which is helpful. um, And it will take time for you to understand the language of your dreams because they're for you. And they're typically metaphorical. They're typically symbolic and Mm -hmm. metaphorical, which is, you know, it just takes a while. And I I concede there was a few times people were interpreting my dreams. I'm like, how the hell did you get that from that? (laughs) And um, but I encourage people to keep going because once you get going, dreams open up in unimaginable ways. There's so much more than just the typical what I would call psychological dream. And they can be very helpful and they will shine a light on who you are at the deepest level in ways that you couldn't imagine. Well, and we're going to get deeper into your interpretations of dreams, yeah. but I want to ask you about Dr. Brujoy. Yeah. Um, how did you get connected with him, or how did you even learn about the retreat? Yeah, so um, the book that shifted me out of my rigid rational mindset was Michael Crichton's book, Travels. And Michael Crichton was, um, you know, a best-selling author and um, an interesting background. Well, he wrote a chapter in a book he wrote called Travels that kind of chronicled his journey partly into spirituality and partly into opening his mind to a lot of things he didn't know were possible. And he did a retreat with Brew all the way back in 1982. Mm-hmm. And even though I was devoutly anti-spiritual, I kept reading that chapter over and over and over again. And so um, 20 years later, when my entire life fell apart, like times 10, everything that could go wrong all went wrong at the same time, I was looking for a lifeline, and it worked for Crichton, and I found this brew guy. He was still alive. It looked like he was teaching the same retreat from 20 years ago. He called mm-hmm. it his Heart-Centered Foundational Conference, and so I signed up. What a what a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's important to share, too, he was one of the top— was it? He was in medicine, right, before he became yeah. a spiritual teacher? Yeah, he was in, I forget what they call it. It's a Greek name, but it's the Medical Scholastic Society, the top 1% of all medical students in the country. Brilliant man. Even at the age of 35, he's being prepared to run the American Medical Association. I mean, he was like the little golden boy of medicine. Wow. And uh, But he went through a healing crisis, a spiritual awakening of his own, and followed an inner voice. He sold his practice and—, and um, Traveled around the world for nine months following his inner guidance and came back a spiritual teacher and taught the rest of his life after that. That's awesome. So you kind of just mentioned it briefly, but what was the catalyst for you to embark upon your spiritual journey? Oh, like so many people, pain and suffering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, I had a relatively charmed life up to that point, fairly successful in my career, saved a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, my wife got cancer completely out of left field. She'd been very healthy and she was young. And literally, I think less than two weeks after they diagnosed it, they had removed her thyroid gland completely. Jeez. Had to go through bouts of radioactive iodine treatment. And, um, and she began to change, which a lot of people do when they get cancer. And they're kind of confronted with like, wow. And started reading books about God and the meaning of life, books that at that point in time I just didn't read. Mm-hmm. And so she started to change. At the same time, I left my very secure job, started my own company, and in a short period of time lost all of our money and a whole <laughs> bunch more. And dug myself in a hole to the tune of $650,000 in personal debt, $250,000 in credit card debt. Man, I was good at playing the system. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Uh, I thought you were a numbers guy. uh, Well, well, I must have gone out the window then. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Jokes aside. Yeah. And and then, let's see, and at that same time, I don't know where it came from. I had this terrible fear of death. Mm. I don't know where it came from. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't consider myself religious or spiritual, so I didn't even have any beliefs around it. I just suddenly was confronted with, oh, my God, when I die, that's it, forever, oblivion. And it just seemed terrifying to me. So in a fairly short period of time, 
My wife gets cancer. She changes. Then she decides to leave. Gee. The day after Christmas, um, just decided, like, I want a new life. You take the kids. You're the better parent. See you, you later. Did you see Goodbye. it coming? I was too caught up in the fear about mm. my business to see it coming. I mean, I probably did, but I was so, oh, my God, how, you know, I couldn't figure out how to dig myself out of this hole. Right. And so um, it felt like practically overnight I went from the charmed life to a uh, bad husband, bad father, bad businessman, and a man running around behind closed doors terrified of death. And with being having to be the mother And then and custody father. of a 9-year-old and 11-year-old, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was... I lost. I found that anxiety is really good for weight loss. So. <laughs> that is that is the case. <laughs> so after the divorce, though, this kind of pushed you into hanging out with more women. Exactly. Right? And where yep. did it take you from there? It was beautiful, and I didn't really see it at the time. But first, I go to therapy and group therapy, which weirdly, suddenly, I was like most of the time the only guy with ten women and two women therapists. I had started down a spiritual path, and and I'm kind of both mother and father to my children. And I didn't see it happening at the time. But I, um, I, without knowing it, I think I'd been living my life very one-sided the whole time. And I didn't know how one-sided it was. So I was starting to embrace what some people would call my feminine side. Mm. And I actually really loved it. It is really true. For a few years, I hung out with all the single moms and we bitched <laughs> about our exes. And <laughs> yeah. And you were also encouraged to cry. Right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, how did you make yourself cry? Oh my God. Or allow yourself to cry. <clears throat> what was so your method? I, you know, in the book, I tell about meeting a woman who I thought was a nutritionist who turned out to be a psychic, although nowadays they call them medical intuitives. And she said, the reason you have chest colds that you keep getting over and over, you have grief trapped in your chest going all the way back to when you were a little baby. Mm. And I kind of knew it intuitively, but I didn't know how to cry easily, especially in front of other people. But I did know I would tear up sometimes in front of sappy movies. She goes, here, take this homeopathic remedy called lung, like 10 drops twice a day, and go watch sappy movies and let yourself cry. And it took a long time. And then all of a sudden, it was like the log jam. And I remember on my hands and knees just crying and crying. <laughs> I actually felt so good when it was done. I remember like, I don't know why people do this. Yeah, so sappy movies became your vehicle for That's that. That's exactly what it was. That's fascinating. Now, you had mentioned your fear of mortality, and you yeah. mentioned that in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think it came from and how did you end up finally overcoming it? I don't know where it came from and why it came from because I was healthy. I was scared at the time, but I was Mm. healthy. But I think deep down, if you were to ask almost anybody, almost everybody, their deepest fear is death, you know, and just probably the unknown, you know. And so I managed to shove it into the unconscious, I think, for a long time. But I think it was my greatest fear. And it was important for me to move beyond it. And I, I think that that's advice I would give to a lot of people. Whatever your fear is, find a way to turn around and embrace it. Yeah, or just and, and it'll be a lot smaller if you embrace it than if you keep running from it. And who helped you to embrace it? Well, it was ironically that same teacher. Three years later, I joined a year-round study group, and we did a lot of work online and had exercises. And I remember it like yesterday. He said, for the month of November, we are going to embrace the mystery of death. And he goes, if you don't have a will, I want you to make a will. If you need to make amends with other people, make amends. Plan on dying at the end of this month. In the meantime, if you're afraid of death, I want you to meditate on death, pray on death, read books on death, listen to music on death, let death teach you. And I had some of the most profound dreams and visions ever imaginable. By the time I was done, it's like, I love death. I'm not afraid of death. Right. It was really that profound. Huh. And I, again, I tell people all the time, you know, whatever your fears are, Find a way to embrace them, and it will shift. That's fascinating. And now you also came to meet so many interesting people that you mentioned in your book, and one of them was Tom Kenyon. Yep. So I was hoping you could share a little bit about that and what you learned from him. So I love Tom Kenyon because, boy, talk about somebody who's walking in two worlds. He has the ability to open up into unbelievable worlds. He sees all sorts of things going on in what looks like an empty room, and um But at the same time, he's very logical and rational and grounded and funny. And so my wife at the time, Shauna, you know Shauna, said, hey, let's go. He's teaching a workshop on relationship, a Magdalene relationship. And so I I get there expecting like, oh, God, you know, because Shauna had just started going out. And I thought there's going to be like 10 couples holding hands, working their relationship. There's almost 500 people at this hotel. (laughs) And um, and so it was really profound. He did amazing sound healing, that uh, workshop we went to. For the first day and a half, I didn't think I 
learned a lot that I didn't know already. But then came the big changer. He just said casualties can be, hey, Mary Magdalene's here and she wants to do a healing piece. I'm going to do some vocal toning. And while you are listening to it, you might have some visions come up. If you do and they're scary, just keep walking. Mm. So I sat there. He starts doing, if you've been with Tom, you know, the vocal toning that he does. He's a sound healer. And after five minutes, nothing is happening. And it's, I think it's because I'm sitting under bright lights and they're penetrating my eyelids, so I can't see anything. So yeah, you're I, mentioning how irritated you were. I was irritated <laughs> and cranky, like, oh, nothing's happening to me. It's because I'm sitting under bright lights. Right. Oh, my God. And then suddenly what feels like a tunnel, a blast furnace opens underneath my seat. And this this energy pours in from the earth up into my body. And suddenly I'm seeing every wounding experience in my entire life from birth to present time in perfect chronological order, and I get to revisit each one for about three seconds. And my body is shaking and quaking and sweating, and halfway through it, a voice says to me, do you want to keep going? And so my voice says, yeah, I'm tough. Let's keep going. (laughs) And so 20 full minutes of shaking, quaking, sweating, and watching all the experiences. And when I've done, I felt strangely graced, relieved, and Mm. devastated and sleepy at the same time. And lighter, I imagine. Yeah, and I was like, Okay, this Tom Kenyon guy is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm proof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break, but everyone stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny Up next and more Love from the Hip. On this Weekly Skinny, let's talk about the history of acne. Its full name, acne vulgaris, vulgaris meaning common, was first used in 1840. Prior, ancient Greek physicians like Hippocrates used words like varus. Ancient Egyptians referred to it as a coot, which translates to boils, pustules, or any inflamed swelling. Historically, skin disease was seen as a manifestation of internal problems. In ancient Greek medicine, the presence of skin disease showed a need to balance the four humors or liquids in the body, which included blood, phlegm, yellow, and black bile. In 1638, acne was associated with menstruation-related disorders, and around 1648, It was linked to sexual behavior. The invention of the microscope allowed for a deeper understanding of acne with the discovery of things like pores and sebaceous glands. In 1842, German physician Carl Gustav identified the first demodex or skin mite while examining tissue that was affected with acne. In 1837, English dermatologist Samuel Plume described blockages of the sebaceous glands leading to follicular inflammation. In the 19th century, Robert William and Thomas Bateman, the fathers of modern-day dermatology, divided acne into four types, that of simplex, punctuate, endurate, and rosacea. The first three types called for local remedies, while rosacea involved treating stomach and or liver problems. While it has taken many centuries, we definitely have more knowledge of acne and its causes, although most doctors still say it is largely genetic. We also have a greater understanding of the culprits in regards to mites and various bacterias. While earlier remedies were vegetable-based for the Greeks, animal-based for the Egyptians, throughout the Middle Ages, treatment included balancing the humors through diet, herbal remedies, and even prayer. In 1922, dermatologist George Mackey and his team addressed diet restrictions when it came to dealing with acne, recommending avoiding things like sweets, soda water, fried foods, coffee, alcohol, and spices. McKee also correlated acne with stress in the intestines and insisted on the importance of a daily bowel movement. In 1936, dermatologist Herman Goodman recommended peels, antiseptic therapies, astringents, and clays to address acne and also large pores. He also advised against consuming starches and oily nuts. Later came other discoveries for topical remedies like benzoyl peroxide and high-dose vitamin A, or isotretinoin. Unfortunately today, acne has sadly increased. This is due to not only poor hygiene, the quality of our food, and disease-causing organisms, but also because of the amount of stress, anxiety, and violence we are exposed to as well. Not to mention how we think and what we say to ourselves. Our ancestors were right to address the body as a whole. Acne is just another example of how everything is all connected, and is an unfortunate way in which our bodies can get our attention. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just tuning in, I am having a discussion with John David Latta on his new book, 
the synchronicity of love, stories that heal, transform, and awaken. So, John, I want to ask you, you were mentioning about Tom Kenyon before the break. Mm -hmm. Were you constantly battling this rigid male self throughout your whole journey? Always. Pendulum would swing back and forth and back and forth. I'd have these strange, amazing experiences, and then the pendulum would swing the other way where I'd be scared, I'd be trying to explain them, I'd be nervous about what the future held. Um, Yeah, and it's honestly, it continues to this day. I mean, I love Tom Kenyon because Tom used to always say, yeah, I get stuck. I get marooned on the island of logic myself a lot, too. It's like, (laughs) yes, I'm not the only one. No, we're all human, right? Yeah. So you actually devised your own spectrum of dreams, having used dream interpretations throughout your journey. I was hoping that you can share some of those with my listeners. Yeah. So at the beginning, my dreams, I think, were like probably most people's dreams, just purely of a psychological nature. And, you know, when you start to look at them, you see sort of the patterns and archetypes that are playing out in your life. But as time goes on, they start to become what I call more psychic dreams. And uh, in the book, I think I have 15 different kinds of dreams. And so I'll share a few. Um, one I would call uh, warning dreams, like just be warned, you hmm. know. Uh, and I, I just started to remember group therapy with all the women. And the dream I had was that um, uh, the, all the women had gathered together and said, hey, we're going to be peeling shrimp, but we're worried about John. And I said, well, I love shrimp. Why is that a problem? Well, you know, peeling shrimp can be painful and messy. And it was a period of time that went by. Looking back, I knew exactly what the dream was trying to describe to me. For me, it felt like in group therapy, my shell was being peeled off. Mm. And it was painful. It was messy. And I felt vulnerable and intimate in a way that was terrifying to me. Now, I was very happy to peel other people's shells off for them. Just not your own. <laughs> Just not my own. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had... Um, Dreams that I call premonitory dreams, you know, premonitions. I had an employee that I was really close to and had a dream that her younger daughter, I mean, it was an image that came to me in less than three seconds. And somehow I knew from the image that her daughter was engaged to be married to this big guy from Texas. Mm-hmm. And I went and told my employee kind of cautiously about it. She goes, no, my daughter's not dating. She's not in any place to get married, you know. And a month goes by and she goes, uh, John, come here. And she shows a picture of her daughter with this big guy from Texas, the same guy I saw in my dream. And it was two or three years later they got married. And so, um, yeah, so dreams of warning, uh, premonition dreams. Uh, Another one I would call a course correction dream, a beautiful dream that I kind of crafted into a story where I was out um, fishing on the Yakima River and I was grumbling about things, which I do sometimes, and Jesus taps me on the shoulder and it's like, come on, let's go for a walk. And we walk on the river upstream. You know, it was it was awesome. <laughs> and I get way upstream and up near the headwaters of the river, and I see cops and bad guys fighting, graffiti, violence. There's a lot of fighting going on. And he just points at the scene, and he says to me, this is not your true north. And then we walk all the way back downstream. I remember waving at the farmers. They couldn't see me. Yeah. <laughs> and drops me in the river. And so it was beautiful, sacred dreams like that. Just And I did have... Uh, I would call it a lawyer on steroids that kind of lived in me. And I knew it kind of outlived its usefulness. And it was sort of like, you know, you don't need to do that anymore. And that was your the North? That was the, you mm-hmm. know, true North is not fighting. He didn't say what mm-hmm. it was, it's just what it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, you know, I had a, a dream just this morning of a, a woman that years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, we were helping each other out when we were in business. And she had started... Uh, a line of natural cosmetics and um, called Kipris. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. It's in Nordstrom and mm-hmm. I think Neiman Marcus and some of the others. And we were helping each other and we had had a lot of interesting dreams together. But I don't think I've talked to her once in the last six years. And the dream I had was her and her husband uh, had moved up to like Whidbey Island or the San Juans. I wasn't sure where. And in the dream, I kept telling her, I don't think you're going to like it up here. It's cold up here because she lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. And she grew up in Florida. And so she's used to the heat. And I kept saying, I don't think you're going to like it. It's cold up here. So I thought, I'm going to give her a call. I haven't talked to her in a long time. And she goes, oh, my God, you're not going to believe it. My husband and I just three days ago were thinking about moving to Whidbey Island. Oh, no. So did you give her the warning? <laughs> I said, I, it could be kind of cold and gray up there. <laughs> it ain't Scottsdale. Still got to find out for themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you were having the premonitional dreams, did you have any sort of uh, physical thing happen on your body that you noticed? Nope. Nothing like that at all. That's yeah. And, I, you know, I, I'll be honest. There are dreams I would see the score like 
a scoreboard like Washington 42, Oregon 38. Those dreams never come true. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird thing. But I've had some just so over-the-top premonition dreams that came so true. And again, they were so coincidental. Right. You know, with air quotes that I take it really seriously. That's awesome. Yeah. So you experienced also kundalini energy yeah. quite significantly. Mm-hmm. And you mention it throughout your book. How would you explain what it is or why it even happened? Um. Why it happened. Okay. I have no idea why it happened. <laughs> I was in a hotel room in Philadelphia when it started. I had just finished appearing on QVC, the Home Shopping Network, and um, had trouble sleeping. And I really had a terrible time sleeping. Uh, and about midnight, I felt what felt like an orgasm in my root chakra, my perineum area, and it just flooded my whole body with bliss. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, what was that? And then a few minutes later, it happens again, this poof. And then again and again and again, and it goes on for what felt like hours. And I finally had to get up and shake it off like, oh, my God, I need to sleep. I have to fly home, you know. Right. And um, so I don't know why it started, when it started. I, I, I know people that practice yoga that are trying it, and I was just one of those people that just happened to. It's almost know. like you were riding the wave of euphoria. Weren't you very euphoric after you got off QVC? I was very euphoric because I didn't screw up on yeah. live TV. <laughs> I was very happy. But, um, so anyway, Kundalini is a fascinating thing. It was definitely one of the highlights of my life. But I also think it was kind of in alignment with, remember heard me saying I was embracing this feminine side. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, not everybody, describe Kundalini energy as sexual energy, feminine energy, earth energy, primal energy. I definitely experienced it that way in spades. But I've talked to some other people, read some books that said actually kundalini energy is just balancing energy. Yeah. And so it literally could be if you were very much in your feminine, but didn't it could be experienced as a masculine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think that that's what was happening to me as I kind of lived out the sort of rigid, rational, competitive male. And here comes my other half. Yeah. I actually experienced it, too. And I yeah. think it was more of balancing both feminine yeah. and masculine. But yeah. as you said, I think it's also just... Being in alignment with your true self. Yep. Right? Yeah. So you talk a lot about, is it Eugenia in your book? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what information did she share with you and why was it so pertinent for you to know? Well, it was beautiful. Like so many things that came in a dream. And while I knew of her and had one of her books, I didn't really know her. And I had a dream where she shows up in a dream and says, you need to get a reading with me, but wait six months. So I literally followed the dream. I looked her up online, found out she did readings. It was in November. I booked it for the following April. And so we start the reading. She goes, well, what do you want to know? I said, I don't know. You came to me in a dream and said I should schedule a reading with you. (laughs) So she kind of just ran with her intuition. And she started talking about things I never talked about. Um, What some people call past lives. She goes, no, I want to go way beyond past lives because the soul has an origin too. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and she described uh, you can have many embodied existences. Being a human being on earth is just one. And so what we would call a young soul is somebody who has not had an embodied existence anywhere other than being a human being here on earth and maybe has only had five or ten lifetimes. Mm. An old soul is somebody who's had many embodied existences throughout the cosmos, and being human is just one of them. And so she was very flat out, said, you're an old soul. You've started here. You were, I mean, she threw out some funny (laughs) things. You started out as what they call insectoid, she goes. You started out as the butterfly people. And... These are very um, whatever the opposite of dense would be, like, you know. And then your first uh, mammalian body was uh, as a Pleiadian. And she she said, and you love that. And Mm. you didn't get a lot of karma. So it's like, okay, I'm ready to be a human. And the funny thing is, I think the way she described it, uh, which I love, is a lot of these higher beings – being a human is hard. Oh, my gosh. It is really hard. <laughs> well, and it's weirdly, it's not a bad thing. It's almost like graduate level course. Right. And so I really have new appreciation for being human after that. But um, what she also said was, um, I think she's the number 10 percent, about 10 percent of the souls here on Earth, which is a huge number. It's almost it's around 750 million are star seeds. These mm-hmm. are the old souls that have had embodied existences in places besides Earth. They come and have their human experience, then they wake up, and then they're supposed to give back and be of service. And she said the new paradigm for Earth now, it, the old days, it was the light fighting the dark. Yeah. Now it's the light carrying the vibration, like a tuning fork. They don't fight the dark anymore. And it's, she just said it's part of your contract to carry a higher vibration, 
literally my property, me as an individual, and she called the, both the property and me, myself a sanctuary sphere. Hmm. And there's hundreds of millions of us out there, old souls, just holding the vibration and we're hoping that will raise all of Earth. Yeah, lead by example. Exactly. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so I love how you're, you bring your readers down the spiritual rabbit hole in your book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you share with all of us all of the modalities that you tried and mm-hmm. experienced. But out of all of them, which ones resonated with you the most and why? God, I saw that question from you and I had to think about it. I have tried a lot of different things. And... So most practical for me still to this day comes down to just heart-centered meditation, dream work. Um, sometimes when I meditate, in fact, oftentimes, if I have a very sincere question and the question is clear, I'll just meditate on it and I'll get an answer. And the answer will be either auditory or most likely visual. Uh, that's been the most helpful to me. I did like shamanic journeys for a period of time. I was actually really surprised. Wow, you can get a lot of good <laughs> stuff from those. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, but there were some other things, um, I think, really heavy ritual that some people, their hearts would swoon over. It didn't really move me. Mm. I was more of a kind of the quiet, silent, go within type. So I, uh, the Kundalini was cool, but that modality did me. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you put that. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to take another quick break. But everyone stick around for more Love from the Hip. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A. S-U-T-T-E-R dot com. Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more, Sakura skinandmind.com S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. Microneedling is a revolutionary treatment that can help reduce the appearance of acne scars, fine lines, pigmentation, wrinkles, even improve the appearance of stretch marks by stimulating collagen and elastin. Sakura Skin and Mind specializes in this procedure that jumpstarts your body's natural healing process. Sakura Skin and Mind believes in not only keeping the skin up to date with the latest trends in the skincare industry, but also keeping the skin beautiful, fast, pretty, painless, and affordable. Find out more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just joining us, I have author, teacher, and mystic John David Latta with us today. So, John, I want to ask you, 
You mentioned this in your book, live what you don't want to keep. I was mm-hmm. hoping you can talk more about that. That was uh, the second time I was in all the where everything was going wrong. I was married to Shauna and lost all my money again. And oh, my daughter's already doing drugs. And it was just a terrible time for a few years there. And I had this dream that said, live what you don't want to keep, which was typical for a lot of dreams I had. It's like, why can't you be more clear? But I think I understood what it was trying to say is, you know, in every situation that we, anybody encounters, you really have, that you don't like, you have two choices. Uh, you leave or you embrace it. And, and so I actually think now looking back, sometimes when we're really in the shit and we're stuck and if we choose not to leave, uh, you live it. You live it fully. You embrace it fully. That's the way to move through it, not to run from it, although that is an option. Uh, to embrace it, live it fully. And so there was a lot of things in the time of my life that I didn't want to keep. But it was teaching me, now go live it. Right. So it was really helpful. Okay. Yeah. So it's not wrong to say that there are less straight men diving <laughs> deep and doing this inward yeah. work. You started this journey when there were even less. Yeah. So what advice do you have? And I know you had opened with talking about how this book is also for men yeah. that are more rigid men. What advice do you have for other men who are perhaps dancing around the idea of doing the same, doing this inward work? Well, the thing I would say is what my first spiritual teacher, Brew, taught me. And because I was afraid that I was going to have to trade um, masculine for feminine. And he said, no, 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 just embrace them both. You'll be more whole and you'll be more resourceful. It will help you in your business. And that's what I needed to hear. And so for all you rich, rational men and women out there, you know, opening up to these other realms, you will find yourself more supported, more resourceful, in a way more intelligent than ever before. And life feels more magical and enchanting because, you know, the rigid, rational life can be, there's a certain comfort in the certainty, but it also can feel dry and empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also probably very heavy. Yeah. Right? Yep. Carrying a lot of those emotions that need to be expressed. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for that. So tell me more about the Mankind Project. Yeah. So Mankind Project, worldwide organization, um, I think it was created by a psychologist, a military guy, and a spiritual teacher. And they combined the best of all three into men's work, men's work that has been around for thousands of years but kind of lost in, in the U.S. today. And uh, men come together uh, in circles, uh, weekend workshops and things like that for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's um, men that didn't have a father growing up and literally mm-hmm. don't know how to be a man. Uh, sometimes it's hard-ass military guys that have been abusive in their whole life, learning to that they don't have to be violent all the time. Um, and so it's men coming together to do personal work and healing work. But in my mind, it's wholeness work, too, because there's the rigid, rational, hard-ass male that's learning to be softer and to listen better, more compassionate. And there's the real soft guy that's kind of learning to be a hard-ass, too. Mm-hmm. And so it's beautiful work. To me, I don't know how the hell it functions because it works like AA where it's 99.99% volunteer work, but it's an amazing organization. That's amazing. Yeah. So what do you think was the hardest and scariest part of your journey? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Honestly, it was what my mind was thinking might happen in the future. And that sounds almost so cliche, but it's actually true. Looking back, the whole thing was freaking awesome. But what my mind thought was going to happen a lot of times during the Kundalini, I was like, I've got responsibilities. I've got a business. It's a multi-million dollar business. Mm. I've got employees and salespeople and suppliers. I've got two kids that I'm responsible. I was really afraid it was going to make me altered in some weird way. and never happened. Or sometimes I was very tired. There's no doubt. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I would say the fear of the unknown was the worst part of the journey going forward, you know, throughout the whole thing. And what about letting go? Was that also hard? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think literally um, probably almost all my journey has been into trust, surrender, and letting go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you do share a lot of great stories in your book, and I know we're coming close to running out of time, but can you share with my listeners a story of your flight in 2014 to Jacksonville, Florida? Yeah, I'll try and keep it short and succinct. So true story. Um, I had to fly from Seattle to Jacksonville with a connection in Dallas for a 30-minute appointment, and then I was going to fly all the way home the next day, so a lot of flying in two days, <laughs> and threw my back out the day before. And I got up in the morning hoping it would be better. No, it was worse. Had a long history of throwing my back out. It would sometimes take a month to get my back back to normal. And all I could think of was, oh, my God, an uncomfortable airplane seat, flying all day, 
all the way there, all the way back. It's going to be terrible. I'm standing in the airport stealing myself for what is going to be a horrible trip. And suddenly I'm aware some part of me is humming the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, (laughs) and aiming it to the pain in my lower back. And I'm like, what the hell? And in that moment, I went, you know, I do know that sound and vibration can be healing. Maybe I should stop grumbling about how bad it's going to be. And so I started humming the song. And the cool thing about airports and airplanes, there's a lot of ambient noise, so nobody notices you humming. (laughs) And it was insane. It was like a test from the universe. I always sit in the window seat. The person in the middle seat for all four flights was impossibly large. And every time I was thought, oh, my God, now I'm pinned next to the seat crooked window all crooked. Which doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah, I just kept humming. It was like a mantra. And the pain went down. It went from like, if 10 is the worst pain, it started as a six. It went from a six to a four, then a three, then a two. And I kid you not, the last leg of the flight home the next day from Dallas to Seattle, I had an empty seat next to me. And I thought, I passed this test. Oh my God, (laughs) this is so amazing. You know, Uh I can heal myself by humming, you know, humming a happy tune. And a woman comes down the aisle with a big baby in her arms, and guess where she sat? <laughs> so he kicks me the whole four-hour flight. Oh, Didn't boy. matter. I just kept humming. And so what I learned from that experience, sounds kind of silly, is um, just because things have always played out a certain way in the past doesn't mean they have to in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I like to say if I was three years old and got bit by a big black dog, I probably would be afraid of big black dogs the rest of right. my life. But I don't have to be. Not all big back, big black dogs bite. And so even my wife and I, we went to Kansas City and back just recently for a wedding. And I was getting a little grumbly because the seat was uncomfortable. It was a long drive. And I went, oh, I could use my own lesson here. I'm going to start humming, humming, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> it got so much better. So Yeah, it's yeah. choosing how you get to react, right? Yeah, and it, it, a lot of it comes back to vibration, too. Mm-hmm. I was in... Uh, this is the rigid, rational male who's comfortable saying, I know how this is going to play out. Right. Well, it could have, but yeah. I went down a different path and had a whole different result. That's amazing. Yeah. So where do you hope to grow from here? Um, so I'm playing book marketer now. So I wrote a book and book marketer. I'm hanging out with you, which is really fun. <laughs> and I don't really have any grand plans. I used to have a lot of workshops and gatherings at the house. Probably going to do that again. Mm-hmm. I have a big house and a big yard. But it kind of went quiet during COVID. And um, so I'm kind of waiting for the next step. But right now yeah. I'm having a fun time talking about my book and hanging out with you and sharing stories. Love it. Yeah. Well, how can my listeners learn more about you and your book? Yeah. So my website is John David Latta. My last name is spelled L-A-T-T-A, johndavidlatta.com. Uh, book is available on Amazon.com. The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. Awesome. Thanks again for being here today. Thank you, Sakara. Really appreciate the invitation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you to Eric, my stellar producer, and you, the listener, KKNW, KBKW, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at com, and tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip presents Go Beyond the Veil. Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare you.